Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is February the 13th, 2022. Um, 13th isn't always a lucky day. It's lucky. For those of you who like football, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Tomorrow, we're going to have a show about the advertising on Super Bowl Sunday. Tomorrow, of course, is also Valentine's Day. I hope one day, Valentine's Day and Super Bowl Sunday will be on the same day because then we can really have a fun show. Um, We've been doing quite a lot of shows about the cultural industry, particularly Hollywood. Last week, I had the Wall Street Journal reporter Eric Schwartzel on the show. Uh, he has a, a, a highly acclaimed hit book out on the Hollywood China and the go, the global battle for uh, cultural supremacy. According to Scott, um, China has captured Hollywood. It's not a love story. I'm not sure how happy Hollywood is, uh, but China controls all the money. Uh, all the cards. So Hollywood perhaps does not have much choice as a heroine then. It's rather defenseless. Um, In terms of romance and comedies, though, there's certainly nothing, uh, as they suggested, either romantic or funny about Hollywood's capturing of, um, sorry, China's capturing of Hollywood. Today, however, we are going to try and lighten the mood. I have... um, Another cultural writer and critic, uh, Scott Meslau, on the, on the show. He has a new book out from Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy. Um, Scott, welcome. Where are, you, where, where are you coming in from today? Where are you based? I'm in Los Angeles. Ah, the heart of Hollywood. Hollywood. I do have a chapter, Scott, in your book. Uh, you, you choose some romantic comedies. And I thought we might begin at the end of your book with Crazy Rich Asians, which is uh, the 2018 American, according to the Wikipedia entry, romantic comedy drama film. Do you think that Crazy Rich Asians reflects the Chinese taking over of Hollywood or is it coincidental? Oh, I wouldn't say that. I, you know, it's based on an American novel. Um, it's certainly set largely in Singapore, but um, but I, I think it is a very traditional Hollywood studio film. And it actually didn't do particularly well in China. It was a bigger hit domestically. So you haven't seen much in terms of romantic comedies of this supposed Chinese takeover of Hollywood. No, I mean, there's a movie, um, The Mermaid, uh, or Mei Ren Yu, was a very successful Chinese romantic comedy uh, by... Uh, I can't remember the filmmaker's name off the top of my head, but that was a, again, it's interesting how there hasn't been a lot of crossover. It was released in a very limited release domestically here, but was a massive $500 million hit in China. Scott, I can blame this on my first wife, who I'm no longer married to. She used to study China and she always claimed that uh, the Chinese didn't have much of a sense of humor. That's not me saying it, it's my first wife. So if anyone complains, don't blame me. Um, In terms of romantic comedies and Hollywood's illustrious history. Um, does it require a culture that appreciates laughter and comedy? Or in your view, do all cultures have laughter and comedy? Oh, I think all laughters have laughter and comedy. I mean, those are 
as universal a theme as you're going to have. People, it's the kind of stories people enjoy. It's the kind of stories people can relate to. You you begin the book. Uh... It's it's a history. You begin with Harry Met Sally, the 1989 romantic comedy. Um, to you, and I mean, you've you've chosen to begin in the late 80s. Perhaps it's no coincidence that when ha- Harry Met Sally was came out in 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the the pinnacle of American confidence, cultural power. Um, is there any coincidence, do you think, about the fact that when Harry met Sally, which is perhaps the most acclaimed and uh, perfect of, of American uh, romantic comedies, came out at a point of such cultural confidence? I think there's something to be said about what was happening with the way Hollywood movies were made in general. Um, I think of when Harry met Sally, my favorite romantic comedy is sort of an unacknowledged remake of Annie Hall. Uh, but the big change that it makes is that it graphs on a happy ending. Uh, it, we go from the kind of wistful Annie Hall approach of walking away sadly, having learned something from the relationship to the big run through the streets, the big speech at the New Year's party. And, and that, that to me really set the tone for what was going to be different about Hollywood romantic comedies. And I, I think it's the cultural confidence is probably some part of that. The, that, was, that was Hollywood really establishing itself as a place for dreams and fairy tales more than a place for the hard-bitten realism that, well, not exactly what was happening in romantic comedies before that, were at least a little more grounded, a little closer to real life. You mentioned uh, Annie Hall, uh, Woody Allen's 1977, again, according to Wikipedia, satirical romantic comedy. Um, can you have romantic comedy when you have someone like Allen, who is quite philosophical, thoughtful, reflective, and ironic? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think I don't think of romantic comedies as this, you know, debased genre that some people have been very critical of in the past. I, I think romantic comedies can be and often are very intelligent, very insightful. Um, so I don't I don't I don't have any kind of pejorative approach to what you can cover in a romantic comedy. I think it can be as smart as any movie you see. When you say as smart as any movie you see, what is its particular smartness does it speak of the university universality of love of romance of desire of disappointment of euphoria yeah it could be any of these things <clears throat> i mean if we're talking about annie hall what you know what woody Allen is known for is the the pattern of his dialogue the cultural the cultural insights the uh you know it says it right there on the wikipedia the presentation of jewish identity and elements of psychoanalysis i think all of those things were baked in and it was it was a best picture winner for a reason uh, that that is a movie with a lot going on under the hood, but but I think the book you know that that movie came out well before the movies I cover in my book, um, but I think the movies I cover in my book have similar intelligence about other things. Yeah, I talk well about- again coming back to why you chose 1989 and when Harry met Sally to begin uh, is is Harry met Sally does it represent a new take on the genre in your view? Yeah, I think to me that's, it's what every rom-com that came after sprang from. There was a real boom for this genre in the 90s. Uh, and I think I think that movie is really the first one that captured modern dating in a way that felt real in a, at the Hollywood level, where it's you know, this movie that quite literally came out of Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron having long searching conversations about why do men do this? Why do women do this? And I think that movie really perfectly balances the two perspectives in a way that really clearly spoke to people and continues to well over 30 years after it came out. And 
I think for that matter. And the other thing is the ending thing that we talked about. I, I think having a having that kind of Hollywood ending, that was that was the thing that would set the tone for all the rom-coms that would follow. You mentioned Nora Ephron, who uh, she, she, she wrote the movie. She, her love life was not exactly happy. Does it require, do you think, to write romantic comedy, someone with a complicated love life, personal love life? I think a movie is always better if a complicated person writes it um, because I think they can bring more to the table. But her love life became very happy. You know, she obviously had a very, very famous and public split with Carl Bernstein um, and, and his affairs and wrote, wrote a romantic laugh about it that is Heartburn is clearly a book about that marriage dissolving. But she then, you know, married Nicholas Clegg and they were happy for many, many years until, until her passing. That I think she very much found her true love story. What about the acting in these things? Uh, Meg Ryan, of course, uh... Uh, is still perhaps best known for When Harry m Met Sally. Are some of these Hollywood actors interchangeable? There's certainly in the old studio system used to be a kind of in interchangeability of stars. How important is having particular stars in particular films or are they relatively interchangeable? I think for the films that were really successful, it was absolutely essential. You know, rom-coms rom uniquely rely on the chemistry between two people. Uh, and I think audiences know that when they see it, and it's pretty hard to fake when it's not there. That's where you have movies that, you know, these multiple pairings of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks that clearly worked, or Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. Uh, more recently, that's what's been happening with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, although only once in a romantic comedy. But I think... I think especially when you see the same pair make multiple movies together, it's because there is something kind of alchemical about the combination of the two of them. So I, I think in a bad rom-com, maybe a lot of actors could start. And I think in a great rom-com, it really did require the two personalities. You think sometimes that chemistry extends off screen? Sure. Stars date. Um, I, not in any of the cases that I mentioned there. Uh, but yeah, it, and it can happen both ways. You know, I talk about how in the book, I talk about how in My Best Friend's Wedding, they didn't cast Matthew Perry as the male lead because he and Julia Roberts had dated at the time. I, so I think, I think it's something to be careful of one way or the other. I'm talking with um, Scott Meslow, the author of a new book, From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy. Uh, it's a book which chooses, I think it's 14, 13, 14 or 15 movies. And then you have some extra chapters on actors and writers. You have something on uh, as I said, uh, Meg Ryan. You also have a, a little section on, on on Hugh Grant, who, of course, was a star or is a star of, of Hollywood romantic comedies, but is very British. Um, there are another, and there are, you, you have uh, four weddings and a funeral uh, uh, in the uh, in the book. Uh, you also have Bridget Jones's Diary, another British uh, romantic comedy. Is this special relationship between the UK and, and the US, does it come out particularly in these rom-coms? Yeah, I think so, both in the way that they were made and the way they distributed. Four Weddings was very, very, you know, that's very British production and a very low budget production. And the, the marketing team behind it was actually rather savvy because they thought that they released it to British audiences first, then it might be criticized as, oh, this just could have been on the BBC. And so what they did is released it in the United States first and kind of rolled it out slowly and it gained a lot of acclaim here. And they thought that would make it more palatable to British audiences. And clearly it worked. I mean, it won the BAFTA, got a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. And, and the same people who made that movie really went on to make a lot of the other Britcoms that crossed over. Uh, you know, that's where you get the people behind Bridget Jones's Diary, the people behind Love Actually. It really is the same 
small group of very passionate. Kind they of always seem to be Scott. They always seem to be the same films. I guess uh, that's true. There's a certain recipe, and if you succeed, you try it again with with a, with a slight twist. Is that fair? Or am I being unkind? There's there's a, there are structural similarities, sure, and part of what rom coms offer is tropes that people enjoy. You know, there's the the since Shakespeare's times, these have ended in weddings. Like, you know, there's there are there are basic kind of satisfying plot beats that any decent story tries to hit. But I think there are smart ways to do it. You know, films we're talking about, Love Actually, you know, a film that I have problems with, but that that's a film with eleven different love stories packed in under the hood. There are there are many different ways to tell these. For a yeah, well, well, why do you have a problem with Love Actually? I, I actually I, I thought it was pretty boring too. But what's your problem with it? It's just, it's just one that I don't enjoy as much. So uh, why do you why do you include it? Because it's important. It, these aren't just movies I love. They're movies that define the genre. It was an important and influential film. I mean, it begat a lot of films after and continues to be a film that people watch and talk about every Christmas. Um, the, the, the subtitle of the book is The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy. Um, before we get to the rise again, what's the narrative between the rise and fall? What happens? What, what, what is the story of the romantic comedies since 89 through to the, the 20 teens? Well, there was a long period where the genre was in a really fertile state um, and it died right around the 2010s and even died is overstating it. All of these things were overstated at the time. There were a lot of kind of hand-wringing death of the rom-com essays. Uh, what's more realistic to say is there was the death of the mid-budget studio film. Uh, this was an era where Hollywood was really pushing either towards $300 million about Spider-Man or tiny, you know, $10 million indies that may have a shot at best picture. And rom-coms sort of found themselves in an uncomfortable position there where the genre has routinely been ignored by awards voters, uh, but it wasn't making a billion dollars worldwide. And so that that business model became less sustainable. Uh, that was that was when the studios at least backed away from the genre, although that, even that is changing now. But did that reflect changing tastes, uh, the fact that grown-ups were watching... Uh violent films, superhero films, that there's this dramatic rise in, in that kind of um, cinematography and movies and, and, and everything else kind of disappeared and the collapse of the middle market. I think the audience was always there. I think the audience moved. This is the same time when there were a lot of sitcoms that were doing will they, won't they pairings. You know, you had The Office, you had How I Met Your Mother. Those were very steeped in romantic comedy tropes. Um, and this was right before the streaming services got very into it. And for that matter, the Hallmark Channel, that sort of thing. There are still... There were still love stories all over. They just weren't happening theatrically the same way. I am speaking with uh, Scott Meslau, the author of From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy, a really interesting new book about the history of Hollywood romantic comedies. I'm going to take a short break, Scott, and then we'll be back. We'll talk more about the book. We'll talk about maybe a couple of films that are missing from your list or what I think are missing. Um, and I also want to get your suggestions on films and books and perhaps music to listen to tomorrow on Valentine's Day. So we'll be back with Scott Meslow, the author of From Hollywood with Love, uh, in about 60 seconds. Hold tight, everyone. Hi, everyone. Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using 
Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. We're back with Scott Meslow, the author of From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy. Uh, before the break, we talked about this sort of narrative of how from when Harry met Sally, the glory year of 1989, perhaps the glory year in American world history, we've had this decline. I wonder if this has anything to do with the fragmentation of audience itself um, into gendered, ethnic, and demographic shards, this splintering of the mass audience. Uh, you include, for example, the 1995 movie Waiting to Exhale, which was, um, I don't know if you want to call it an African-American romance film, but it did feature... Uh, African-American um, uh, actors and actresses and, and, and a director. Um, is there uh, an ethnic component to the decline of the universality of, of rom-coms in America? I'd say quite the opposite. Uh, I, think, I think part of the problem that happened with rom-coms is that they weren't reflecting the diversity of the people watching them, the diversity of the relationships that were depicted in them. And I think they are haltingly, but not quickly enough, getting better at doing that now. That's especially what's happening on Netflix. I think we're seeing more rom-coms that aren't just centered on upper middle class white people living in New York City, working in journalism or architecture or those kinds when of When Harry jobs. Met Sally style movies. That would be your quintessential rom-com and a movie I love, but I, I don't think that should be the only kind of rom-com made. I don't think those should be the only kinds of So yeah, I mean, maybe I didn't articulate the question clearly. Uh, a film like Waiting to Exhale, was that a universal hit or do you have films say made by Asian Americans or African Americans that tend to attract just Asian Americans and African Americans these days? Yeah. Waiting to Exhale is an interesting test case. Um, it, it came, you know, came out of an author, author Terry McMillan, very successful with black readers who were being underserved by, by publishers at the time. So her books tended to be breakout hits. Uh, and the film was a big hit in general, but was especially embraced by African-American women. There were stories of, you know, parties of waiting to exhale where theaters would be rented out and it would be kind of a, it was really treated as a watershed moment. Uh, to me, the more interesting problem with that film is why it didn't beget more films like that. It was, a, it was a massive hit with a clear audience, but again, Hollywood wasn't quite moving fast enough where it should be beyond 
what was the kind of the myopic view that was determining most of what got made at the time. Yeah, Hollywood doesn't seem to move very fast. And that criticism is echoed by many other analysts of Hollywood. What about the demographic issue, um, Scott? One of the other films you include is the 2003 romantic uh, movie, Something's Gotta Give, featuring a, a relationship between Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. I, I enjoyed this film, maybe because I'm old. Um, <laughs> has romantic comedy perhaps devolved to older people, especially since they're the people who seem to be going to movie theaters these days? Yeah, I think that's part of why that movie was such a hit. It's a you know it's a film about Diane Keaton, who of course starred in Annie Hall. Um, she, I think, to have a character who has literally grown up with the audience who grew up loving rom coms as well. Uh, I think that's that's part of the reason that movie was such a durable hit, and also just because Nancy Myers knows how to make a hit rom com in a way that very few filmmakers are making at this point. And then going to the other extreme, uh, you include To All the Boys I've Loved Before, the 2018 American teen romantic comedy movie. Is the attraction of teens, is this one of the reasons why romantic comedy is rising again with uh, a clear uh, demographic of people, particularly online, uh, interested in themselves and their own lives? I think that's part of it. You can't deny fandom being an important part of what gets made in general at this point. And if you, you know, teenagers being online, having those sorts of those online fandoms and, you know, tumblers and groups that develop around films, a, a rom-com is a good way to do that. There's, there was certainly a lot of affection for Noah Centineo, who was the male lead in that. Um, but I, I, I think it, what's happening with the streamers is complicated in general. The, the fact that that became a franchise is something that wasn't really happening in romantic comedies for a long time. Uh, but, but that's the way of it now. Uh, the, the, the Oscars are, of course, coming up. And uh, one of the films that's big hit of this year is Licorice Pizza, which I saw and I thought it was actually extremely good. I assume you would consider that a rom-con. If you were writing the book today, might you include it? Yeah, it'd be a good question. It's certainly a film that I consider a rom-com and a film I admired. Um, that it, it could easily have been the closing chapter. It would also, certainly how it does at the Oscars, will it you know, it, it, it's a little hard, the closer I got to the present to figure out which books would be truly influential and lasting the way that no one could argue with when Harry Met Sally being in the book. Uh, so Oscars would give me a sense of the longevity a little more. That would probably change my vote one way or the other. Right. And it would be a nice narrative from Harry Met Sally to Licorice Pizza, which treats gender and age in a much more, um, a much more perhaps creative or, or, uh, uh, I don't know what word we could use, a, a much more contemporary sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson has made several other rom-coms by my estimation. You know, I, I think Phantom Thread is a romantic comedy, uh, his previous film. So, so I think he's doing interesting stuff in the genre that sometimes isn't even identified as being part of the genre. Yeah, he made a famous film about the, the porn industry. What about, um, what about sex? And romantic comedy. You include Friends with Benefits. It's not a sexual romantic comedy, but it's a romantic comedy in part about sex. Uh, mm -hmm. Does there need to be sex in romantic comedies? I think it can make them feel more modern. I mean, that's a film with, I mean, it's, it's still a PG-13 studio film, but it's, you know, it's a film with surprisingly graphic sex scenes. Um, I, I, one thing that I find a little frustrating about what's happening in Hollywood right now is the the sexlessness of what's getting made. Um, and I, I think that does trickle down to romantic comedies. I think there's an inauthenticity sometimes, you know, if I, superhero movies in particular to me are a good example of everything just feels a little, you know, it's, it's essentially for children, but because it's become the monoculture, it's, it's now for all of us. 
Um, and I would like to see stuff that deals with things that are a little more adult. And that includes, you know, human adults have sexual relationships. I, I think films that reflect that ring a little truer, especially to an audience that's hungrier for stuff that's a little more adult oriented. Do you think that um, rom American romantic comedies after 1989, are they more sophisticated than the classics? I mean, when I was reading your book, uh, I thought of The Apartment, which in my mind, written by Billy Wilder, featuring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine is certainly my favorite American uh, romantic comedy. Um, how do these, do you think, compare to those kind of classic movies from the 60s? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question to think about. Um, I, I think it's also hard not to look at it with a skewed lens because, of course, the ones we remember are the ones that were truly great. Uh, if we're going to talk about The Apartment or His Girl Friday or Bringing Up Baby, The Philadelphia Story, I, I think those are all classics for a reason. But the reason that we're talking about them is because they have endured. Uh, I, I would say they, <clears throat> in terms of the films covered in the book, uh, I think the best films are on that level and just doing, doing modern love stories the same way that those stories felt very of their time. Uh, but I think they all play just as well today. How do you define a comedy? I know it's a tricky one. I, I went to a movie at the weekend called Sundown, which I thought was really disturbing and dark. It was about a man dying of cancer and deeply existential movie. And in the Guardian review, which I read afterwards, I only ever read reviews after I've seen the film, it suggests that it was Venice, the Venice Film Festival this year, funniest film. To me, it was the least funny film I've ever seen. It doesn't make it necessarily a bad film. How do you determine humor? I think that's a fair question. It's certainly in the eye of the beholder. Um, to a degree, these genre classifications are more about marketing than they are about what actually happens in them. And I think any an ideally a sophisticated film finds a way to blend in plenty of comedy and drama. There are some films that I cover that are right on the line in terms of being romantic dramas, romantic comedies. Uh, it's it's sort of hard to it's sort of hard to define that line, but but I think you know to a degree it's just that classic. You know it when you see it. As I suggested, in 1989 was the high point of American cultural, military, economic power. America's been in radical decline since then, perhaps most manifested by the rise of Donald Trump, both as a cause and a consequence. I had the very distinguished film historian David Thompson on the, film, uh, on the show last year, and we were talking about the cinematic precursors of Donald Trump and this whole idea of the Donald Trump show. Do you think that the Trump age and indeed the darkness of contemporary America might generate another golden age of American romantic comedies? Is it a good backdrop or might the seriousness of so many of the issues now confronting America make it increasingly hard to make romantic comedies? It's an interesting thought. I, I would also say Donald Trump echoes all the way back to the first books I cover or the first movies I cover in my book. It's uh, in the in the script for Pretty Woman, uh, Richard Gere's character is described as a Donald Trump type billionaire. And and to be fair, that was a much darker version of the film. That was a film that, you know, really started as a really dark drama about a cruel billionaire you know, using a woman and then throwing her back on the street. So maybe that comparison was more accurate. But but in terms of if I were betting in Hollywood right now, I would be betting the other way. I would be saying we're heading towards a time of more escapism, more lightness. Um, I don't think the Donald Trump analogs that people have put into the culture have worked very well or really captured the full, maybe we're a little too close to it. Um, so I would be, I'd be looking the other way. 
Uh, I like the films and I like your book, uh, that the films you're including in the book. And I like the book. It's a very good idea. But I, I have to say there's one film that I thought was glaringly omissed. There was a glaring omission, a trilogy. Uh, and perhaps, you know, we've talked about the, the Anglo-American quality. Perhaps you missed the French aren't usually very funny. And I guess this isn't a French film, but the trilogy of uh, wow. before movies made by Richard Linklater. Um, mm-hmm. To me, featuring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi is really a, a classic. Did you consider putting them in? And, and what do you think of, of this trilogy, the Before trilogy? I, I adore those movies. I think they're the most romantic movies of all time. I actually just um, I just recommended them in the Washington Post. There was a roundup of people recommending uh, romantic movies for Valentine's Day. But I think they're romantic dramas. So I think they, I think they, they felt like there was a lot of there was a lot of humor in and 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 the the narrative in the trilogy became more serious. But certainly the first one was 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 quite uh, funny. Was 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 very much of a comedy. Even that I find a little more. It's a little more wistful, a little more earnest. Uh, it's on the line. You, I, we could we could certainly debate it. But but to me, I love those movies. And if I had thought of them as romantic comedies, they absolutely would have been included. But to me, that's a that's a genre next to it. From Hollywood with Love will, of course, uh, bring to mind for many of us uh, the great James Bond film from Russia with Love. Do you think Bond is romantic comedy? <laughs> I do not. Uh, I think I think those are action films. Uh, but I they and I don't think Bond is very romantic in general. The closest he gets or funny. Is, <laughs> yeah, that's true too. Although Daniel Craig is trying to be funny, I don't know if he's succeeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked him in Knives Out. I liked him in uh, Logan Lucky. I think he's got moments. Although I think the seriousness of the Bond film now suggests that romance is somewhat out of fashion and that Bond as this womanizer, although I guess the last film really dealt with real romance rather than Bond just as a womanizer. Yeah, they, they tried to give him a real relationship complete with the child. And, you know, there was a, that was more of a romantic arc than he's had, at least since Casino Royale. Uh, didn't work out well for him in the end, but, uh, but they're trying something new with the franchise. It's interesting. Well, it's, Valentine's Day tomorrow, Scott, from Russia, from not from Russia with love, from Hollywood with love, the rise and fall and rise again, the romantic comedy is something certainly any film lover should pick up and give to their loved one. Uh, what are you going to do tomorrow? Uh, my wife and I are having dinner. I'll be doing a lot of promo for the book during the day, but uh, but we're going out tomorrow night to, uh, to celebrate. Good. Well, congratulations. You deserve the celebration. Give my wife your best. Any suggestions on other books or movies or indeed music to listen to tomorrow, that love day in the American calendar, Valentine's Day? You know, there. I think there are a lot of, especially when there's this story of rom-coms sort of having disappeared, uh, I think there are a lot of underrated rom-coms streaming right now. I would look up uh, Plus One on Hulu is a really fun kind of modern rom-com about uh, you know, a couple of friends who decide they're going to be each other's dates for every wedding and wedding season. And would you believe that they discover that they have feelings for each other? And one of the stars is Jack Quaid, uh, Meg Ryan's son. So a little bit of rom-com royalty, the generational stuff is kicking in. I think I think that's a fun one that not enough people have seen. Well, I perhaps suggest it to my wife because she is a big rom-com fan, certainly a bigger one than me. Scott Meslow, congratulations on the new book, From Hollywood with Love, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of the Romantic Comedy. Have a wonderful day tomorrow. Thank you, you too. And my wife, not my wife, your wife, my best. And uh, we'll talk again in the not too distant future. Thank you so much. Thank you. Looking forward.